0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Today, we live in an individualistic world, one where the term dependence is seen as a sign of weakness. Self-made has become a buzzword, especially by the rich and proponents of hustle culture. But is dependency actually a sign of weakness? And what does self-made mean in the first place? I'm Darshan Johan, and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Sandy Clark. He's a licensed counselor and author. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Perhaps you can start by breaking down the term dependence. How would you define dependency?
1: Thank you for having me. I like how you always start off with the easy questions. (laughs) <laughs> dependency, um, so I think there's two different kinds of, of dependency and uh, in terms of healthy dependence, which might otherwise be known as interdependency uh, this is where people work together uh in a sort of give and take basis where, uh, the people involved in the relationship, the work culture, and so on. Um, they're giving of each other. They're supportive, encouraging. Uh, they offer practical help and so on, um, essentially helping to meet each other's needs. Um, so I, I think in that sense, um, de- dependence is something that we all share in terms of having a need for it. Um, And it's something that we hopefully all contribute to in in some ways through how we give to other people.
0: Right. So these days, um, Sandy, people tend to see the word dependence as sort of a dirty word, a sign of weakness. But is dependency a sign of weakness?
1: Well, I I think it's it's helpful to keep in mind that uh, as a species, uh, humans are neither the biggest or fastest or strongest Uh, in the animal kingdom and so the the success of our evolution and where we've reached today in terms of our achievement and our successes uh, come from the fact that we were able to um, collaborate and communicate and develop complex systems of dependency uh, to help each other to grow and thrive and survive. Um, So our existence has literally been predicated and dependent on the sense of being, de- you know, having dependence on each other. Um, if you think about early agricultural um, cultures or um, even very early tribal uh, groupings, uh, humans have always needed each other in right. order to to survive. If we don't have that then you're not going to survive for very long. So, the dependence is the very sort of foundational strength on which the success of the human species, you know, is why we've been able to come so far, because otherwise we wouldn't have lasted so long.
0: Right. So, you you wrote a, something very interesting in your column on STAR recently, which I'd like, to, uh, like you to expand on, right? And you said it's a popular trend nowadays to think of ourselves as independent or in a few ambitious cases, self-made, which highlights just how much support and assistance we've received to the point where we long ago stopped noticing. Now, I find this, especially that last part, very interesting. Can you expand this a little bit for me? Well,
1: I think that the, the more that life becomes convenient, the, the the less or the more we lose sight of, of you know, how we came to be where we are right and i'll give you an example and and i don't say that this person um has had the attitude where he's thought that he's self-made or independent right but it just the the story kind of um demonstrates the point so um the first uh quote-unquote self-made billionaire in scotland is a guy called sir tom hunter and tom started out by selling running shoes out the back of a van. Right. right? That's where he kind of built his, or started to build his sports empire. But to begin, he had to um, get a loan of 5,000 pounds, which is about 20,000 Malaysian ringgit uh, from his father. And then he got a matching loan from the bank. So in all in all, he had about 10,000 um, pounds, which enabled him to then start his business idea. And then he would... Um, you know, meet with other partners and receive investment and so on and kind of build from there, right? Mm -hmm. So people describe him as a a self-made billionaire, but we can see by just his story that actually he needed someone or, you know, the the bank and his father to get started. Um, He needed people along the way to help build his empire. Um, He needed advisors and he needed uh, business partners and he needed uh, staff. He also needed customers. So we can kind of see through his story that actually there's no such thing as being self-made or there's no such thing as being, you know, completely independent to the point where you don't need anybody. Right. Um, So I think what can happen is that we get to the point where, like, if you think about your life or if I think about my life, we can say, well, through our hard work, we've got to where we've got through our efforts, our perseverance, our um, skills and abilities and talents but I know for myself that along the way, you know, till I, from when I was in school right up until today, there's been a ton of people supporting me along the way. And without those people, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today. So, um, so yes, we have uh, independence in the sense that, you know, we can, we can make things happen for ourselves and we can take charge or we can take initiative, but, We're not independent in the strictest sense in terms of, you know, how much we've relied on other people to help us to get to where we are. And I think that when we lose sight of that, then that's when we can have this kind of hubris in in terms of, you know, well, I got to where I am today. You know, I didn't need anybody else. And I would wager that there's nobody who could genuinely say that and for that statement to be true.
0: What you just said um, reminded me of what another academic. Um, he's an academic in political economy, and I've um, also heard like um, perhaps some um, socialists and all bringing up um, this point as well. And and what they, they have, uh, what they brought up was that um, there's no such thing as a self-made billionaire because every single billionaire um, got their start, um, you know, from either family wealth. Um, they uh, rely on thousands and thousands of workers. Most of the time, these workers are exploited. And there's also the element of taking a loan from the government. Oftentimes, these loans um, are not afforded to the regular people. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and I think this is where a lot of the self-help industry makes a lot of its money, right? right. Because it's sort of like, you know, follow these five steps to be like Tom Hunter. Or here's <laughs> ten, 10 quick steps to success or be the next Elon Musk, right? Right. But we have to take into account that there's an enormous complexity in terms of, you know, where you are in time, um, you know, the people that you have around you, the opportunities that you have, the resources that you're um, fortunate enough to make use of. Um, All of these factors and so much more come together to help you build your success but certainly that there's no such thing as a standalone success story but i think where it plays into the the sort of narrative is that it you know people tend to look for the quick fix or the quick solution uh, maximum results for minimal effort so when you read a self help book or you join an online course that sort of promises these kind of results um that very much plays into our our psychology in the sense that you know, that's really attractive. I don't have to really do much. I just need to listen to this webinar or I just need to read this book and then I'll be on the path to success. But actually, no, You it, it takes a lot of work, a lot of time and not just on your behalf, but a lot of investment from the behalf of other people as well, like you mentioned, um, I mean, I'm talking to you through a condenser microphone at the moment. right? And I'm, and I'm wondering, you know, how many people went into, you know, designing that, um, creating the parts for that, putting it together on the factory production line, um, you know, and, and whoever's profiting from, you know, the, the money that I sent to buy the, the microphone, um, you know, they get to reap most of the rewards. Um, but it's thanks to all the people involved in creating the product that they're able to benefit from those profits.
0: I think back in the day, people used to say like things like, it takes a village to raise a kid and and all these kinds of things. It was a very sort of normal mindset. But then wh- when did we start and why did we start seeing dependency um, as something negative? Where does that mindset stem from?
1: I mean, I think this comes from, uh, yeah, I mean, very early on, uh, George Orwell, the, the English writer, right. he wrote a, a really fabulous essay in 1945. Called the case for the open fire. Right. So this was this was talking about the the sort of um, the sort of outgoing um, practice of families sitting around the the open fire because standardised central heating started to come into play into into homes, which meant that you could go to your room, your your mum and dad can go to their room, your sibling can go to their room, and 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 they enjoy the warmth. Whereas before, everybody had to sort of huddle around the fire. So it kind of created this kind of um, familial bond. People had to chat and talk to each other. And Orwell describes it like this in his essay. So he says, "Uh, to one side of the fireplace sits dad reading the evening paper. To the other side sits mum doing her knitting. And on the rug sit the children playing snakes and ladders. And up against Mm -hmm. the fender, roasting himself, lies the dog. It's a coldly pattern, a good background to one's memories, and the survival of the family as an institution may be more dependent on it um, than we realise. So he was making the point that you know, as technology sort of um, sort of uh, improves and and makes our lives more convenient, actually, it's taking people away from each other because no longer are you having to huddle, you know, uh, at the fireplace to keep warm. Um, which would give that kind of social gathering um, on a daily basis, um, even more than once a day, right? So when you're removing that, then everybody goes into their little silos and they start creating their own sort of space. And that that becomes their kind of individual protected space, right? Like, don't come into my room, uh, you know, I I know you're the parent, but knock before you enter, you know, so we kind of get this this kind of creeping sense of individualism. Um, The human potential movement of the the 1960s is part of the counterculture. So this was people like Abraham Maslow and Huxley and Viktor Frankl. Um, So they tried to sort of um, come up with this sort of movement that was supposed to help enhance and sort of promote this sense of human endeavour, potential, creativity, and so on. But... That became sort of diluted and, and sort of misconstrued to the point where, um, you know, it was then about what can you do to to bring purpose and meaning to your life? What are you doing to author your story? Uh, you know, no one's responsible for your life except for you. Um, how are you going to make a success? And you see this with parents nowadays, especially where they're saying, OK, you need to create a life for yourself or, you know, you need to go out there and be the best and, and um And that's kind of reinforced in in business as well. Um, But again, coming back to this idea that actually it it takes a village not only to sort of raise a child, but it takes a village to raise any success story as well. Nobody does it alone.
0: On the show with me today is Sandy Clark, licensed counsellor and author. After a break, we discuss if capitalism has made us feel like we shouldn't ask for help. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Sandy Clark, licensed counsellor and author. And we're talking about dependency and why nobody is actually self-made. You brought up Orwell, right? And I'm wondering um, how much of this shift in mindset also has to do with capitalism, um, privatisation, the rat race, um, a general sort of individualistic ideology. Do you think that this has to do with capitalism as well? I
1: think it would be foolish to deny that it certainly plays a role, and I, I think right. that one thing that individualism does quite well is it promotes comparison mm-hmm. and self-judgment, right. which is which is great for advertisers advertisers in business that then talk about well, if you have this thing in your life, if you have you know the the new Rolex watch, or if you have the new, if you live in a gated community, if you have this kind of property, if you meet these milestones by the age of thirty. Um, which which more often than not um, include a lot of sort of uh, cost right right? purchase stuff right right Um, you know buy these clothes these branded clothes if you want to you know impress your crush then you know uh, buy this car no no one likes a person who drives this car buy this car and i i remember um i think it was on a, a a social media network and it was this kind of meme that was saying, what would you rather have, this thing or a Rolex watch? And I think it's the, the the other thing was something, I, I can't remember what it was, but it was something quite banal and just, you know, everyday. Um, but it was kind of important right. to, to, to life in a sense. And I remember one comment that always stood out, and there was this guy who said, I would rather have the Rolex watch because then it would show to other people that I have some social capital. And oh. I thought that was such a sad comment. Right. And, you know, because... Not, not to diss any sort of um, watch pieces or any companies, <laughs> but it's a watch. It tells you the time. Right. Um, my Casio watch is going to tell at the same time as a Rolex. It might be less accurate over time, but it, it <laughs> serves the same function, right? Like Absolutely. It's it's, it's, it's a watch. So, really, we're kind of playing into this idea that the, the more individual and isolated and lonely that you feel as a person, the more you're going to seek um, sort of validation, comfort. Um, it's why we have impulse spending, right? It's like when you feel terrible about yourself, when you feel bad, buy a new pair of shoes, buy some clothes, go out for a, a you know a, a night out and spend some money. Um, go and enjoy yourself. Um, it, it's always about this kind of external pursuit of, of happiness, which ironically tends to make us less happy over time, right? So certainly I would say that capitalism does play quite a, a big role in, in, in the sense of Let's reduce dependence because if we can do that, then we instill the fear that you have to strive as hard as you can to be the best and only you can do that. And you're in a rat race where you're comparing yourself to everybody else. And the thing about comparison is that it really is the thief of joy in the sense that there's always going to be someone, something, somewhere that you're going to rather be um, or rather have or rather, you know, I, I don't want to be me. I want to be this other person. They have it all, but even that person who has it all it struggles themselves, and they're comparing to other people. So it's this kind of like cycle of 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 just comparison that really eats into people's happiness and sense of well being. And I think the reduction in the sense of dependence really plays a massive role in that.
0: Now, in your article, you also wrote some uh, another thing that really intrigued me, and and you said, and I quote: "Dependence has been demonized as part of mental health treatment." Patients who do not feel comfortable with their dependent feelings will have trouble building solid relationships with others. What did you mean by this?
1: So I, I think, um, I mean, there's there's quite a few problems with the English language. And one of them is that, you know, we, we can get tied down to the meanings of, of, of what a word means, or it doesn't quite capture the meaning of what we're trying to convey. Right. So if we think about independence, um you know, there's this sense of I have to do everything alone. Um, I have to um, take care of myself. I have to thrive. And, you know, I don't need to be in a relationship because I'm enough as I am, right, which might be true. (laughs) Um, But really, we would be better off by saying, you know, we should aim to be autonomous.
0: Um,
1: So we're we're still within this kind of... um, the, the, this space of needing to to depend on others. But we can still sort of thrive and survive well enough on our own, just not completely, right? So when it comes to mental health, I think that there is a tendency to, you know, again, place the onus on the person, you know, well, you're in control of your thoughts and you're in control of your behaviors and, and how are you gonna, um, you know, use those and use your skills and abilities and your strengths to carve out a life that's meaningful for you, right? So it places this sort of onus on the person to sort their life out. Right. Um, And as someone who's been in therapy and as a therapist, I think that can sometimes become overwhelming uh, to people and they get the sense that, um, you know, that, okay, maybe I shouldn't depend on others so much, but that's not the message that they should be receiving. It's you, you have to accept, and I think this is a universal truth, because if any of us were put in the middle of a forest with absolutely no help, we'd be dead within two weeks, right? Absolutely. Like no, nobody is surviving that that, that situation. Right. Um, so I think we need to, to realise that to foster healthy dependence on other people is not only okay, it's not only necessary, but it's actually something that's going to make your life meaningful and, and, and richer because of that. Now, I think why we're afraid of that is because to depend on other people means that you have to be sort of vulnerable. You have to admit to yourself and others that, hang on a minute, I don't have everything it takes to thrive and survive on my own, but none of us does. Um, You know, unless you're very, very fortunate, but even then, again, you know, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, they still rely on their customers. They still rely on their, you know, uh, shareholders and stakeholders. So again, nobody is, is completely independent, but I think in mental health, Um, It can often be the case that um, people are not explicitly, but just through the practice sometimes can be discouraged from, um, you know, being comfortable with with dependence on others. And then that's when we start to have problems relating to to, to other people because we think, okay, um, you know, I have to be myself without you which in my view isn't doable you you do need people in your life and you you do need to rely on people and if i can just give you this really quick quick story so when i was in my undergrad years i had a friend who um you know would talk about how independent he was he had his own place he had his own car um he had he had money to spend uh he could come and go as he pleased What he wouldn't tell people is that his parents paid for all of that, right? So Mm -hmm. here's this, quote, unquote, independent guy who's entirely dependent on his parents' uh, (laughs) finances. Um, So there's this kind of, you know, delusion of independence when when we really think about it. Let's say you removed everybody from your life. How how long would would it be before you were really, really struggling? Or even if you you removed the, the, the more important people from your life? how long would it be before again you were you were struggling quite a bit so we can have this kind of illusion or or delusion that we're we are you know independent people when actually if you look at it we're not that independent and he actually told me sometime later that you know the the reason why he was talking about his independence and all this stuff was because he hated the idea of relying on his parents he he kind of felt that you know the age of 23 24 he should be, uh, you know, living his own life and doing his own thing. And, you know, so he felt inadequate and incompetent. The fact that he still had to rely on his parents' finances. But as I said to him at the time, you know, so, you know, what, what's, what's the big deal? You know, right. it, it, it's it's an attitude thing. It's an image thing. Um, your, your parents are willing to help you. You know, what, what's the issue with receiving that help? Um, So I think that was quite an interesting question for him
0: to ponder. So you brought up that example uh, of your friend in college, right? I'm wondering when does dependency become toxic or excessive? When does it um, reach a stage where you're burdening either your family, your romantic partner, so on and so forth? Um, Is there a such thing as toxic dependency?
1: Well, I I would say, I mean, just to take the the case of romantic relationships, for example, Mm -hmm. um, so uh, sort of toxic dependency, sometimes related or described as codependency, would would be when one person does all the giving, uh, gives all the support and the love to the point where Mm -hmm. their own needs and goals and interests are suppressed. Mm -hmm. So they give of themselves so much to to the other person without receiving anything back that their identity starts to become wrapped up enmeshed meshed in sort of, you know, helping this person, being needed by this person. That becomes their identity to a point um, where they lose themselves, right? They, they start, or they stop thinking about their own needs. Um, they stop thinking about their own interests, their own desires. Um, so when you reach that point where, uh, you know, one person is just, overly reliant to the point where they're not giving anything back. Right. Then I think that becomes problematic that that would then be something that would have to be addressed.
0: Right. So, Sandy, when we look at the English language, right, um, dependence and independence are antonyms. But is dependence and independence mutually exclusive?
1: I I think they inform each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think in order to be, again, I would use the term autonomous if you want to be, you know, uh, pedantic in the sense that you know, you have to be dependent on other people in order to uh, d- develop any sense of independent. Um, and through your independence, you can then be someone that other people depend on. So I think in that sense, it's, it's a cycle. It's a, it's a sort of mutually informing um, dance, if you like, you know. So, um, so for example... Um, You know, I had to rely on my parents. I had to rely on some friends, family members, and and still do to this day. Um, And so they helped me in in so many ways that I've lost count of, right? So, but it helps me to be autonomous in the sense that then I can use what what I've been able to achieve or what I've been able to build um, to then be of service to other people. Um, So through the dependence, I'm able to be, autonomous independent to a degree and then i'm able to be of service to other people so i think in that way they they work together but i don't think that if you only have dependence or independence um then you're you're going to meet with trouble um pretty soon uh you, you need both in order to thrive i think
0: absolutely i think that's very well said and before we wrap this conversation up sandy would you have a final message for me
1: Sure. So I I think um, if anybody's um, who's listening, uh, let's say, for example, they have trouble with being vulnerable or they have issues with relationships in terms of, you know, giving of themselves or or, um, you know, opening up to other people uh, just to realize that it's like I mentioned earlier. It's it's not only okay or necessary to be dependent on other people. um, It it is what's going to make your life Um, Feel more meaningful and and richer in the sense that if you can get to a place where you can accept and be comfortable with uh, dependent feelings toward others, like I need you or I want you or I I need you to help me in some way, um, then that's going to make life more easier in terms of, you know, you're going to feel less isolated, less lonely and so on. And the flip side to that is that when we open up to other people and we um, you know, show this dependence, show this um, need to be helped, to be supported, to be um, guided or loved. Um, it makes them feel good as well. It makes them feel appreciated. It makes them feel like they are contributing, like they are giving. And I think all too often the fear of, of dependence that we might have Sort of keeps everybody feeling like they're playing a chess game with each other, whether it be in families or romantic relationships or in work work cultures, where you're constantly trying to figure people out. Um, you know, and it just kind of adds the anxiety and the uncertainty of, of 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 the relationship that exists. So by being comfortable with this idea that okay, a, a sort of sense of healthy dependence is perfectly normal um, for everybody. Um, then I think that would alleviate quite a lot of um, tension, anxiety that we might otherwise feel.
0: And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. That was Sandy Clark, licensed counsellor and author. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9.